I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Years ago, before COVID, I found myself in Boise, Idaho for a young adult conference. The weekend was scheduled in such a way that the young adults were coming and going from our conference gathering space, taking care of their own meals at all of the cool little restaurants in downtown Boise. And so as a result of that, me, and along with the other speaking team members, were kind of left to our own devices. And so I found myself that particular weekend in 2019, early November, I believe, hanging out quite a bit with this priest that I'd heard of but had not ever met in person from Lincoln, Nebraska. I'd heard his homilies before. I'd seen him off and on Twitter from time to time, mainly knew of him because of some other people in the ministry world, and was immediately struck by two things. The first was his honesty. He didn't put on airs. He wasn't trying to come across as this like, oh, I'm a priest and you're a laywoman, and so therefore I've got more authority than you. He was just a very approachable, honest, incredibly humble man. The second thing that I don't think I'll ever forget was his story. His story of transformation in Christ. His story of transformation within his priestly ministry. Not a story that we often hear because many, many times, and this is no criticism of the priests who serve within our church, but many times priests will throw up this huge wall and never let people see what's actually going on inside. Now, this is not to say that a priest should be using the ambo every Sunday as, say, his therapy session, but it does something powerful in the hearts and minds of people when they realize that their priest who's serving them is human. And not only is human, but is in need of healing himself. And so over the course of this weekend, we shared quite a few meals together, heard one another's stories, learned our own stories of transformational healing, were able to share them, obviously, as speakers. And I walked away from that weekend knowing I wanted to keep in touch with Father Kilcally, knowing I had been so struck by what he said that I wanted to kind of follow the various ministry opportunities that he did, including speaking at various priestly convocations, including in the state of Louisiana in just a, a matter of weeks. And I was just incredibly struck by and impressed by the gift of himself that Father Sean so willingly made in sharing his story of healing. And one of the big things in his story of healing that I've always really appreciated is that Father Sean doesn't hide, doesn't hide the details, doesn't hide the hurt, doesn't hide the fact that he has had consistent struggles and has sought the healing hand of God in the midst of those struggles. And what has happened as he shares the story, and you'll hear much of it today, is that we begin to realize that the journey of healing is one coming to understand the joy of the Lord and how the Lord wants to pour out upon us nothing but pure and perfect gift. As we're digging into this healing series, and we've been spending time learning about the practicals of healing, hearing how healing is an ongoing journey. We're going to hear in, in coming weeks how healing is, is sometimes hard fought, especially uh, depending upon the circumstances of our life. And this week, as we're digging into the heads and the hearts of men and women in their searching for healing, I could think really of no better person to sit down and talk to than Father Kilcally about his own journey of healing, about the continued journey of healing, and how healing ultimately leads to an understanding and awareness of God's joy. This is all part of our Ave Explores series on healing. You can find everything we're creating over at AveMariaPress.com. Just click at the top. You'll find all of the great things, our podcast episodes, deep dive conversations with our guests in article form as well, and a, a beautiful opportunity, I think, for you to maybe even begin your own journey of healing. But for now, I'd love it if you just sit back and enjoy this conversation with Father Sean Kilcally about healing and joy. Father Sean Kilcally, welcome to Ave Explores. Hi, Katie. It's great to be with you today. It's great to see you again. It's been a, it was fall of 2019. It's so many life. I've had another kid since then. It feels like such a, a strange world. So much time has passed since we've gotten to see each other. How are you? Where are you? And, and what are you doing now? Tell us about yourself. 
So I am doing great. I am now the pastor of two small parishes right outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, St. Leo's in Palmyra, Nebraska, and St. Martin's in Douglas, Nebraska, where I have about 85 families spread between the two parishes. And it has been the most surprising joy that our Lord ever could have given me. (laughs) I also am currently still the uh, director of the Office for Family Life in our diocese, and still doing a lot of traveling and speaking and, and different conferences, much like the one that we met at a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you want to be a pastor? I know it's kind of like a out of left field question, but... <laughs> that was a very interesting COVID side effect. And so <laughs> the, there really are a lot of graces that came out of, mm-hmm. out of the time of the pandemic. And for me, I found myself in the middle of the lockdown with nothing to do because I'm the director of the office for family life. So we can't have events like we <laughs> Zoom date nights and, yeah. and all my friends and parishes are coming up with creative ways to meet their people's needs. And I felt very much like, uh, what am I doing? And <laughs> so, so I spent a lot of time in prayer and, and just kind of interceding and offering my mass every day for my brother priests in their parishes and, And our Lord just started putting that desire in my heart to be a pastor. And I was kind of like, are you sure? Because I have all this other stuff I do. And and he was like, no, no, I know what I'm doing. And and so I spent seven months filling in for a friend at his parish who took a little sabbatical time and, and that desire just continued to grow. And so, so the bishops assigned me here a year ago. And as I said, it's been, it's been the greatest joy. I, I, that's one of my favorite things to do to Jesus in prayer. Like, are you sure? Like, can we just like confirm this four or five times just for my own sense of control? I feel like as a person with anxiety, I'm allowed to ask that question on the regular. Like, it's just, it's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. But you you used a phrase that we've, we've used it off and on in other interviews, desires of the heart. And I think that's a great kind of jumping off point. As a priest in a parish, in a family life office, you travel and you speak. So you've kind of seen across the board. And now in a world that's, I think, vastly different since the last time we saw each other. But the desires of the heart are sometimes hard to discern. It's like, what do I know is my desire? What do I believe is the Lord's desire? Am I, as my will in line with God's will? When does my desire start to get wonky and start to get dis, discombobulated? Can, let's talk about that. Like, wh- first of all, how does a person maybe start to understand the desires of the heart? And then sometimes how does the world maybe begin to warp them? Mm. So there's a book by Mark and Deborah Laser called The Seven Desires of Every Human Heart, which I've really found to be very helpful. And, and they just talk about these seven seven desires that we all have that God gave us. And and they're really also ways of describing the experience of being a son or a daughter. And Mm -hmm. so those are to be heard and understood, to be affirmed, to be blessed, to be chosen, to be included, to be touched and to be safe. And so when we think about like the things that we want, right? Like they usually fall into one of those seven categories and when those seven categories are being fulfilled in our lives, we experience what it means to be a beloved son or a beloved daughter. And they really get warped when, when they go unmet mm-hmm. or we have deprivations. Because when we have deprivations, we try to fill them ourselves. And, and of all of those seven desires, right? They, none of them can be fulfilled on our own. Like we can't be heard and understood by ourselves. We have to have another person for that or to be affirmed, chosen, included. Like we can't, we can't do any of those things on our own. Mm-hmm. We can simulate some of them and most especially touch when people struggle with kind of solitary mm-hmm. sins or when like we, we just fulfill those desires by eating or, you know, any number of mm-hmm. Of, of places where, where we need healing in our life, mm-hmm. kind of the indication that we need healing in our life is, is when we're fulfilling those desires with material things instead mm-hmm. of with relationship yeah, with the real person and most especially the most real person in our mm-hmm. life, who is our Lord. I saw a TikTok the other day. This is going to sound out of left field, very millennial of me to say this, but it was simulate your or choose your coping mechanism, millennial. And it was scroll mindlessly on your phone 
online shop, disassociate for the next five hours or clean like a maniac. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do one of those four things. Like I either become a complete veg, I don't care what the house looks like, or I turn into a mad woman because all of these other external things have maxed me out. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us could probably look at that list and be like, yep, that's not being met. That's not being met. And so I'm doing these things to try to fill the vacuum. And that's woundedness. I heard Sister Miriam James Heidland say this summer at a talk that there's evidence that shows that what a person looks for when they're searching for pornography, like the search term that they use, is actually the source of their hurt. Mm-hmm. Like if they're searching for something specific, it's because that in their life was missing or that in their life is where they were abused or that. And so deep, deep down, it all comes back to what we are lacking. We try to, we try to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what the world does to us when we start to self-medicate. I, I would say that the world like encourages us to do that. Oh yeah, those are the things that you need to do. Like just cope, cope, cope and slap a bandaid on it. And it's never going to get any better. What are you seeing in your ministry when people come to you and that's what the world has done to them? That's what they've allowed to happen to them. So I think self-medication, it, it really is about, you know, self, self-determination and, and this kind of rigid, rigid and rigorous isolationism that we can have. And really in theological terms, it comes down to being a Pelagian and thinking that I can work out my salvation on my own. Mm. And, and so, so I think oftentimes it's a result of despairing of the fact that there is a person capable of meeting my needs. And, and so often I know in, in my own life and so many of the people that I, that I minister to, they, they really objectively have had people who either hurt them that were supposed to love them or just people weren't there for them. And so that's so painful mm-hmm. that, that I'm just not going to risk being hurt again. And I'm just going to do my best to meet my own needs because I'm the only one I can rely on. Mm. And, and so, so it sounds like when we say self-medication, it can sound kind of pejorative, but I think most people come by it honestly and they don't, they don't really realize they're doing it and they don't want to do it, but it extends into our relationship with the Lord oftentimes. And, and then I'm, I'm trying to find healing on my own terms with our Lord and, and in addiction recovery, it, it's something that it comes up often is mm-hmm. just making this shift to surrendering. And, and I might be going to meetings every single day and I'm going to therapy and I'm doing this thing and I'm doing this thing, but it's really like my checklist where I'm trying to control my own healing process. And as long as it's my checklist and I'm doing these things, because if mm-hmm. I do these things, then I'll be healed. And that gets in the way of all I'm trying to do is clear out the space so our Lord can heal me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You no, know, we don't, we don't sort of find the miracle. Right. Um, yeah. Which is, which is from our Lord's grace and yeah. it is our Lord who heals us. Now there's lots of tools that we put in place and, but those tools, the goal of those tools is to facilitate the genuine devotion mm-hmm. to facilitate a complete surrender of my heart to our Lord. Yeah. Yeah, the checklist is helpful for like step one. But then when you want to actually move into transformative restoration, to use a different term, you have to stop trying to cling to it. My, my friend Roy Pettifee and I often talk about how I feel most in control when I actually am anxious because I know what that feels like mm-hmm. versus when I'm not anxious, I, I kind of enter into this space of I don't know what's coming next and I'm not okay with not knowing what's coming next. So I just rather live in this space of I'm very uncomfortable by not knowing what's coming next mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm okay with not knowing what's coming next. And and I noticed a shift. COVID was, like you said, there was some great grace. Pre-COVID, when I would travel, I would, I feel like I lost years of my life to worrying about plane schedules and like, am I going to get stuck? What's going to happen on the other end? And all of it kind of boiled down to the uncertainty of who's caring for my kids if I'm not there. Like you have to figure out like, what is the cause? It's not just that the flight's not going to take off and I'm not going to get home. It's that who's going to be on the other side of it to bring Rose to school or to put dinner on the table. And I was talented and good as my husband is. He's been solo parenting for two or three days. And then post COVID, I, all of a sudden it was like this shift, probably because I was home for 400 plus days of you know what? It's it'll work out. We we've got a great network of people around us. Tommy's got a pretty flexible boss. Rose is older. 
So like, it's okay if she's sitting in the corner of his classroom and like not at home with a sitter or something like that. It was like, because there was some stability, all of a sudden the anxiety kind of lifted. Mm-hmm. And it, would you say that, and this is a long drawn out way of building up to, would you say that a lot of people resist healing experiences or trying to begin the healing process? They know there's this lack of desire, you know, the, the desire is unmet. They fill up the hole in their life with something external. Then they try to control the the getting rid of all those things that they filled up in their life. And that's really hard to get rid of those things that have made me feel safe or have made me feel comfortable. And how do we break through to people to help them realize, no, there's actually more stability on the other side of this. That, that was a, a long story and a long question, but I, I want to talk about that. How do we find that stability and how do we encourage people to start looking for it? Yeah, I, I think one of the things I'm really grateful for is so many people that are giving testimony to like what healing's done in their own life. And mm-hmm. because, and, and we have to proclaim to people that life can be better and mm. like you can be free. And uh, I, was, I was teaching for the Institute for Priestly Formation this year. And, and so one of the things that I said in class once was like, you can be free and free means free. Like not free <laughs> for three months, not free for six weeks at a time, but free, free, free. And Forever. Free. And, and <laughs> in the evaluations, a lot of the seminarians wrote, the most impactful thing was that free means free because nobody had ever told them that it's possible to be free. Mm-hmm. And, and because sometimes, you know, there's a tension, I think, in, in where we're at right now, because there's this sort of tension between like mercy and the call to conversion sometimes, where we have to know that our Lord loves me exactly where I am right now in this moment. At my worst moment, our Lord looked at me and he loved me and he gave his life so that I could live. And, and he also is calling me to be more, mm-hmm. you know, like he's also calling me to be more. And, and so when, when we just focus on like that, that initial point of mercy, we can, we can almost fall into the temptation to stay there. Mm-hmm. That place of like, I need healing in my life. And the only way to experience God's love is to experience healing in my life. And, and so I'm constantly like looking for wounds and um, mm. like sometimes I have to say to college students, like you might not have any wounds. Or they might not be as bad as you think. Okay, if you don't, you know. But then the, on the other side of things though, there's this like only the call to conversion where we're mm-hmm. sort of like saying, well, you just need to decide to be better. And if you were a really good Christian, you wouldn't do those things. And, 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 and so, so both of those things have to be held in, in tension. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I love the rich young man as a model of the healing process, because mm-hmm. there's sort of this presumption that he's heard the gospel proclaimed and he's heard Jesus proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing that happens is he has this desire to live. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to live my life. And so he goes to the Lord and he says, like, what must I do to gain eternal life? And the first thing our Lord says is stop sinning, mm-hmm. right? Like, like get rid of those coping mechanisms Stop mm-hmm. looking for the answer in these other things. Stop trying to fulfill your desires in other ways. Stop sinning. You know the commandments, you know, honor your father and mother. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Okay, I've done that. I've stopped sinning. What else is there? Mm-hmm. And then our Lord looks at him and he loves him. So that's a really important part, right? Because when we stop those those coping mechanisms, we're left in a vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. And in that vulnerable place, we have to encounter the look of love. And because it's the look of love that fills that space in our hearts. And it's the look of love that fulfills those desires of our hearts. And so our Lord looks at him and he loves him. And then he says, go and sell everything you have and follow me. So, so mm-hmm. now you're ready to surrender your life. And mm-hmm. so the look of love precedes this call to give up everything and follow me. Mm-hmm. And, and there's that order of this sort of moment of mercy and the call to be more. And I think in my own experience of healing as well, like there was a need for both of those things and there was a need to keep them in order, you know, that I'm going to let our Lord take care of me in all of those vulnerable places and those places of abandonment and those places where I wasn't taken care of. But then I have to hear the call to more mm-hmm. that it's possible to be free and, and, mm-hmm. and the Lord wants more for me and I don't yeah. have to be afraid of the more. Mm-hmm. So by the time this podcast comes out, it won't be 
secret anymore, so I can say this. My sister is entering the Sisters of Life. She's there now. And one of the things I love about their ministry is that they tap into this look of love. Like a woman arrives and needs help. And it's not, let's get you an ultrasound. Let's find you an OB. Let's get you on rent assistance. It's, can we cook you breakfast? And they just sit down with them and they share a meal and learn their stories and like love them as moms. And I think I knew that. Like, yeah, of course, like they're nuns. Like clearly they're going to be good at that. But then you spend some time with them and like you discover that maternal nature is all about this. How do I give that look of love from my feminine heart, the priestly ministry, like how do you give that look of love in the confessional? Some priests, I think, do it a lot better than others. Uh, you know, how do I give that look of love from a pulpit? Because it is, that's the tension moment. That's the mind the gap moment for the the person who needs healing or who has been told they need healing and is maybe resisting it. Do you find, I, I want to get to your story in just a moment, but I wanted to ask this objective question first. Do you find it's harder for men to seek it out or to stand in the gaze of the father's love because you said, you know, free means free. I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah, of course it means free. But do you think it's harder for men to hear that? Not to beat up on guys. I'm just curious. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard for me to say that because almost <laughs> everybody I talk to, it's hard for them to hear that. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of men, it's hard for them to admit when they have really deep wounds, it's hard for them to admit. Most men who are sexually abused do not admit that they were sexually abused. It's like one in six men were sexually abused, but mm. hardly anybody really admits that. Or, or maybe it was like peer-to-peer -peer abuse and they don't count it. I think that, you know, within the church, among like really like faithful, mass-going, confession-going men, there can be a kind of a kind of man-up spirituality mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that really is reinforcing those qualities of of kind of self-determination and willpower and, and all of those things that are the opposite of surrendering. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to, to just say, I'm a beloved son. And the only thing I'm going to work on in my spiritual life is like knowing that I'm loved by the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I need to be like a little kid in my spiritual life. Like, like I need to model my life after the beloved disciple, you know, mm -hmm. and then I'll be ready to go out. We can be in a hurry to go out. Mm -hmm. And I always think it's like Luke Skywalker wanting to leave the Dagobah system, you know, before <laughs> that, that's like a scene in Empire Strikes Back that has always stuck in my mind. And so I think those things are more difficult. You know, I think we all can have a lot of shame mm -hmm. about things and, yeah. and shame keeps us locked in this place where I think I have to fix myself in order to be worthy. Mm. And what our Lord came into the world to reveal is that like, you don't need to fix yourself to be worthy. I love you anyways, mm -hmm. even though you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully that leads to real repentance. And repentance is something that, that I think can be lacking in our lives just because of the way that we relate to the sacraments sometimes. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Father Sean Kilcally. I wanted to take a moment and tell you about this week's sponsor, the Live Liturgically family of products from Catholic Concepts. They're working to bring the beauty of the church and the family together, really taking a look at the rhythms of the church and family life and how when they're lived together and they're complemented and, and built upon, they reinforce each other. And their flagship product, which is something my family uses, the Liturgical Family Wall Planner. It's designed to help families live with a lot more purpose. You know, I'm the kind of person who has my entire life mapped out down pretty much to the minute on my phone calendar. And we have shared calendars for all the different things going on from soccer practice to when I have to do a pre-tape for my show to when I've got all sorts of different interviews. But one of the things that we love about the Liturgical Family Wall Planner that takes it out of kind of the digital calendar realm, which so many of us use, is that it provides us this very tactile space to write down what's going on, what we have going on in our family life, and what's going on in the life of the church and how those two things sync up. You know, on the Liturgical Family Wall Planner, right up at the top is this memorable quote from the Sunday Gospel, kind of gives you this focal point for the week. There's a space for a gratitude list, for prayer intentions. There's a meal planning section that's come in handy. A reminder of the color of the current church season, even the color of that specific day. 
of course, lists off national holidays, most importantly, Catholic feast days. There's a grocery list space. There's a to-do list space, a section to plan what time you're going to go to Sunday mass, a free space for whatever your family needs. I am a big believer in having kind of a family hub. And right up there next to our coffee pot on our refrigerator wall, we have this calendar hung up with all of our color-coordinated pens to really write down what's going on in our family life, what's going on in our day-to-day. And of course, it's integrated with the joys of the church. You can check it all out over at liveliturgically.com. They're our sponsor for today's episode. You can use code AVEEXPLOREKATIE, A-V-E-E-X-P-L-O-R-E-KATIE. It's down in the show notes for a discount. You're going to love this product. It comes three months at a time. You get uh, you get this wall calendar for every single week. LiveLiturgically.com. They're this week's sponsor for Ave Explorers. All right, let's get back to this conversation with Father Sean Kilcally. We kind of did this podcast in reverse. I told you we were going to talk about your story and then we were going to get into the nitty gritty, but I I was purposeful with both you and our next episode of let's, let's get into the, the big tent and then we'll kind of funnel it down into your own story of healing, not to just keep people on the hook, but I, I think because it allows us kind of an access point. Some of the things you've shared, you clearly know this from a ministerial perspective, but also from like in the process itself, you've clearly experienced that mercy. You've clearly felt that gaze of love and have recognize the conversion. So, so could you share with us your own healing story? And, you know, not, not a, a day, we spent like three days together and I heard this story. We've right. got about 20 minutes left of our time. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so there's lots of versions of that story. So, you know, like brief background, I grew up in a blended family. So both of my parents were married before they married each other. They both had children before they married each other. My mom died when I was two years old. And then my dad married again, had three more children. Then when I was in college, my parents got divorced. I didn't think that affected me, of course, you know, because right. it didn't affect me. And I grew up sort of the family hero character in the uh, alcoholic family system. And, uh, and so I graduated from West Point in 1996. After three years in active duty, went to the seminary, was ordained in 2005 you know, had really good four years of my priesthood. And then I went to Rome to study marriage and family. And, and so, so probably the first thing was, was just, I I had a lot of, I don't know, disruption internally that I was trying to solve with kind of Pelagian practices, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so whenever I was struggling with sin or anything like that, I would be like, okay, tomorrow I'm getting up at five in the morning and I'm going to, you know, be more disciplined. and, And my problem is I'm not disciplined enough. And, and that never seemed to work for me. And then when I was studying in Rome, like at the John Paul II Institute, really listening to the truth, beauty, and goodness of God's plan for marriage and family, what it did was it kind of made a light shine into all of those wounded places in my heart. And I, mm-hmm. I started to grow in my awareness that I don't really think about fatherhood the way that other people do. And my professors were always talking about like, you have to be a son first and then a spouse and then a parent. And, and that agitated me so much because I, I just hated that language of being a child of God. Mm. I think because in many ways I was like a parentized child growing up. Yeah. You never got to be a kid. And so, so I didn't have in my experience what it was to be a son. And I kind of got to like the third year and, and our Lord is so relentless in his love and, and everybody experiences this, I think in different ways. Sometimes I think I had a caricature experience because I remember like the first thing was, I was like two and a half years into my time in Rome. I know that like my heart is really agitated. I need help, but I don't really know how to get help. And, and I'm just going to power my way through and, you know, tomorrow I'm going to start. And I, I had a friend who was struggling with some things and he was looking at going to therapy in the summer and the sisters of mercy in Alma yeah. have a program for priests. And so I go to the sister of mercy, sister Anne Marie, and uh, she worked in the office at the Casa Santa Maria. And I said, sister, so do you guys, don't you guys have like a summer program for priests who need counseling? And she looked at me and let out a big sigh of relief and said, Oh, father, I've been praying that you would ask me about this. <laughs> 
Like, what's well, not for me? What are you talking about? It's not for me. And and it was just kind of like, wait, maybe that is for me. But I, you know, I wasn't willing to admit that. Towards the end of my third year, then a few months later, I really hit this point where I knew that I had to do something different. And so I went to my bishop and I basically asked him if I could go to counseling in the summer because I wasn't getting my work done. I was struggling mm-hmm. with depression, a lot of dissociation. And he agreed we would go to Alma that summer. And then our Lord just started a process of like slowly unpacking my life for me. So really the first thing that happened was I was in prayer and I was praying over Mary and John at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says to John, behold your mother. And after a couple of weeks of praying through the same passage, I had this memory of this woman who used to take care of me when I was young, but I didn't really know that. Like the memory was just this woman who came to my house when I was 12 and she was talking to my stepmom. And when I heard her voice, my heart started moving and I didn't know what that was Mm -hmm. about. Went to my stepmom and asked, she didn't really have an answer for me. Kind of just shoved that feeling down, whatever it was. When it came up in prayer, what I realized was that my mom found out she had cervical cancer when I was in utero. She carried me to term. When I was born, the pastor of our parish asked the family to help our family. And they would bring food and clean the kitchen and babysit, drive my mom to doctor's appointments. When my mother went into the hospital to die, I went and lived with this other family Mm. until I was about three. And the mother of that family was the Mary Kay lady, that woman that came by when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized that, I was like, oh, I got to find this person. So I go on Facebook and I ended up finding one of her daughters and I send this message and immediately I got a message back. How could we ever forget the little boy that God sent into our lives? Mm. And then in about five emails, I learned more about my mother than I had in 37 years of my life. And and they were able to fill in a lot of story. Mm -hmm. And when I went to visit them, when I was in therapy, this woman, Mary, I call her Mary mom. She had this bag of stuff and in in the bag of stuff was like all the birthday cards from my second birthday party, all the newspaper clippings from my high school career, a poem the hospital chaplain wrote about my parents, and this red piece of construction paper that says in crayon to Mary mom from Sean. And when you Mm. open it up, it says, I love you in big letters. And there was this, this moment of realization that for 35 years, she kept those things Mm -hmm. means for 35 years, she kept me in her heart. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a really profound experience of what unconditional love means that, Mm -hmm. that somebody could hold me in their heart without wanting something from me. And, and I don't need to be the parent of this parent. And I started to experience this thing called being a son Mm -hmm. or, or this to experience entrusting myself to somebody And then stepping back from that, there's the realization that our Lord did all those things. Mm -hmm. Our Lord arranged for all of that. And and it puts flesh on, you know, that that our Lord always provides a way out, Mm -hmm. always redeems everything. And that was the beginning of the beginning of the beginning Mm -hmm. of a long process of healing. And so so I continued, though, to I continued to go to counseling, finished my degree, went back to Lincoln, continued to go to counseling continue to learn more and more of my story. And for me, healing means you can tell your whole story from beginning to end without fear, mm-hmm. without agitation, and you have the right feelings about the right parts of your story. Because I used to mm-hmm. sort of smile and power through my story in a dissociated way. And so counseling really helped me to know my story. Um, and then like inner healing prayer was something that really helped me to to let Jesus redeem my story, you know, and taking some of those moments and allowing our Lord to enter into them. And really most recently, I had to realize that there were lots of ways that I was getting in the way of mm-hmm. what our Lord wanted to do. And like resentment is a weird thing that like, it's, it's one of those unnamed things that that's obviously comes out of a wound. Mm-hmm. And it was about two years, about two years ago when I was subbing at that parish, well, it's about a, it's about a year and a half ago now. I went on this diet because I was like 240 pounds on my birthday, and I was like, "I'm done. I need to." <laughs> and so I did this food program that a friend of mine did and lost 100 pounds. So I'm on this program where you're eating like five protein bars a day and one meal, like one mm-hmm. lean meal. And uh, and I got super agitated with the brother priest, 
and just like so agitated. And there were times in the past when I would get agitated with a brother priest, because sometimes that happens, you know, like, because we're, we're humans. So I get mad at this priest. And so I would go to a fast food place and get like two double cheeseburgers, a large fries and a Coke, because that'll show them. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so I'm on this food program and I get really angry at somebody and I'm staring at this bag of dove chocolates on the table, thinking to myself, if I wasn't on this diet, I would eat all of those right now. Like I need our Lord, mm-hmm. like, Jesus, you need to fix this thing and you need to take care of this situation because I can't, like, I can't take care of this situation. I can't fix the church. I can't fix, you know, these people, like, I just need you to do that. I'm going to let you be God and I'm going to be Sean and we're going to try something new. And my spiritual life just like made a turn mm-hmm. that I had no idea was possible. Yeah. And I started to learn like, what does it mean to surrender everything? Mm. No, and to really give up control and, and the desire to control people or situations or protect people from themselves. And it's really like, it's hard to describe like what happened there. But, but the evidence of it is, is just like my joy is off the charts compared to where it used to be. Like I find myself being more patient and really being more comfortable in every aspect of my life and my story and my trust that our Lord can mm-hmm. you know, do everything. Because really the goal is that our heart in those moments of distress, when we're bored, lonely, anger, stressed, tired, agitated, feeling unaffirmed, feeling like nobody cares about me, feeling like I'm the only one in the world who understands what Jesus wants to do. And if everybody would do what I think, it would be better, right? In those moments that our heart wants to go to our Lord first, mm. instead of going to two double cheeseburgers, pornography, mm-hmm. masturbation, season four of stranger things straight, <laughs> you know, like whatever, whatever it is that my heart wants to go to our Lord first. And, mm-hmm. and so, so when we, we kind of like, we need boundaries in our life where we remove those coping mechanisms, but the goal of that is always right. That our heart needs to go to our Lord first. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we get caught up too much in like, when I talk to people who are struggling with sexual sin, I'll ask them, well, what are you doing? And they'll say, well, I have covenant eyes and I have this filter and I have accountability and I'm doing this and I'm doing... So they're putting up all these obstacles as if the problem is out there and they're being attacked by this problem out there. Mm -hmm. But our Lord says it's the heart that's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So so we need boundaries because they're like bumper bowling, you know, like like it's going to keep going in the gutter. But but the purpose of the boundary is that you learn to like, you learn Mm -hmm. to hit the pins, right? Like you learn to orient your heart to our Lord you know, mm-hmm. and let him be God. And he's going to be God. I'm going to be Sean. And life really is better that way. Yeah. Life really is better that way. I think telling people that life is better on the other side of healing is like the best thing to get to share with people, but then the hardest thing to get people to understand because it almost sometimes kind of feels like, oh, you're just, you're, you're pitching a self-help program or you're, you know, you're pitching a diet program. And it's like, no, like I'm telling you, like, Life is better this way. And and if my life isn't evidence of it, go meet this person over there. Or go hear the story of this saint or like look at this family. And there's still sometimes that resistance. And I think that's a human thing. This whole series is kind of digging into where do those resistances come from? How do we, how do we start to get to that moment of Christ looking at us and we recognize the love and we start to deal with these addictions and these issues? Your story is really beautiful. And, and your story is one that I'm encouraged by it. And I think a lot of people are encouraged by it because it was in your priesthood that you started to seek the healing process. And I think sometimes, especially with priests, people look at them and just assume, oh, they've got it all together or they're a complete mess. And we all know they're a complete mess, but we're not going to try to help them in any way, shape or form or oh, it's not my place. And yet I do feel this was not a question I was planning on asking, but I do feel like a lot of people listening or out there probably know a priest that hopefully they know them well enough. Like I'm not saying like everybody needs to walk up to their father tomorrow and be like, you should go to counseling. But like if, if you're in a position where you know somebody who could benefit from this healing journey, priest, religious sister, family member, husband, child, whoever it happens to be, what is a, what do we say to them? Like, do we just pray quietly? Like the, the lovely religious sister of mercy who prayed on the sidelines do we form relationships so that we can 
encourage? Like, what, what do we do? Not that we can do it for them, but that if we know that freedom is good, how do we encourage people to find it? I told you the story of like the religious sister of mercy, right? Who, mm-hmm. You know, they're I in my a, diocese. So I know them very well. And I, I know their personalities very well. Mercy, who did the same thing when I was back in Lincoln too. <laughs> who's a and, and actually recently, you know, I, I have to live a transparent life. It like, mm-hmm. if I don't, I'm going to be a mess. And so if I'm having a bad day, everybody knows if I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders, everybody knows. Now the flip side of that is, like when I really have joy, everybody knows and they know mm-hmm. it's real. Um, I had a, I had a sister come up to me at a conference about a year ago and she was like, father, I saw you four years ago and you were good, but you're like really good now. Like, <laughs> like something happened and it's really good. It's really beautiful. And I was just like, Oh, thank you for telling me. But a few weeks ago I was having a bad day and I was just kind of disconnected and I was distracted by various things. And, and one of my parishioners who's in 12 step recovery, and he kind of knows that I I work in that area too and and work my own program. And he he just kind of says to me, Father, you're right. You're like not with us today. Mm. And that's all he said was, you're not with us today. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And you could tell. And he was like, oh, yeah. Mm. And so then that night, you know, I, of course I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm just really distracted. I got lots going on. And then that night I like went over to church to get it. You know, I left my water bottle in the confessional and I was walking out and our Lord was like, hey, wait. <laughs> and I sat down and probably spent two hours just praying through. Like it was it was just a place where our Lord was calling me to excavate a little bit more of my heart and mm-hmm. and some things from my past that maybe were triggered by some people I was working with and and just like some extra places that, you know, he wanted to transform something else. And there's this beautiful place in the healing process where like the new layer of the onions, not scary anymore. Because mm. for a while it's like, oh my gosh, how deep is my onion? You know, like yeah, yeah. Field, <laughs> and then there's another thing. Now it's like, oh wait, there's something else. Yeah, and and that means like things can be even better mm-hmm. if I go there. Things can be better, mm-hmm. and and so that was just a beautiful thing for him to do, and and it is hard for priests to get help today because there's just so much anxiety in the church about priest misconduct that like there are things that are not priest misconduct that priests need help with but they're afraid to get help because they're afraid what people will think of them. And, and then mm-hmm. like our pride is in the way and sometimes people overreact and, and, and it just it can be really difficult. And I've been blessed to, I've just been blessed. Our Lord's just given me an opportunity and, and I've had a few priests who like have reached out to me personally after seeing mm-hmm. me on a podcast or something. And, and I've been able to like have them come make a retreat in my rectory. Mm-hmm. It's just kind mm-hmm. of like, nobody has to know. And it's been just a huge gift, mm-hmm. not, not for anybody with like horrible, bad, like things, but just yeah. something like a rye in my heart. And I'm not really sure what it is. And yeah. Yeah. And I always just want to like welcome people to do that. And I have this like really tiny town for stats out of Lincoln. It's, it's, like, <laughs> it's perfect. So that, that is something else that they can do. And, and I, and mm-hmm. I always encourage my brother priests, like if you need counseling, get counseling. You know, like Mm -hmm. counseling, if you need to be, if you have an addiction, right? Well, maybe you don't want to admit you have an addiction, but if you have a thing that you can't stop doing, Mm -hmm. it might be an addiction and 12-step recovery really works for people Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. And it helps us to learn to surrender our life. Yeah. And sometimes we need that thing. And, And sometimes we need the fact that it's like, it's, it's not tied to the Catholic faith only because like, I need a totally objective eye to tell yeah. I haven't actually surrendered my life to our Lord. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm a priest, I haven't surrendered my life to our Lord. And, and that's the hardest thing to admit. Mm. thing for any of us is that like, you can't serve God and mammon. Like, you know, you can't mm-hmm. have surrendered your life to our Lord and mm-hmm. be like stuck in sin. And, and maybe we can call gluttony a sin too, which, which like, there's never a gluttony talk at the seat conference. You know? um, <laughs> but there probably should be because everybody like there if, should be. Yeah. Like the, the line for Chick-fil-A was like out the door right, for an hour and a half. It's like, guys, if you want the chicken that badly, I think we've got a disordered desire here. Like okay. we've got, there's something so, wrong. Like we'll have chastity talks all day long. But <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I think like my main thing I, I, I try to say over and over and over again is like, be stubborn about having joy. 
Mm. You know, like I believe Jesus is a real person and everything that he teaches is true, including that you can have joy and you can live the abundant life. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And that mm-hmm. means I'm going to do whatever it takes by all means necessary to live into the truth that our Lord has proclaimed about who I am as a person. And, and that might mean going to a 12-step group. It might mean going to counseling. It might mean I need to find a trauma therapist because I have trauma and mm-hmm. I have to do like EMDR or I have to do somatic experiencing, but I'm just going to do whatever it takes in order to be in relationship with our Lord and, and experience this thing called being a beloved son mm-hmm. and to have joy. And, and sometimes I think, especially for men, that means having the spiritual grit to stick in there mm-hmm. right, until it happens, mm-hmm. you know, which means we don't give up. We don't fall into despair. Mm-hmm. And if there's, if we fall back, we get back up again. And if we fall back, we just say, okay, there's something that's not healed yet. I, I might not know what it is, but I'm going to find that thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody tells me to make three phone calls a day to check in with people. I'm going to make three phone calls a day to check in with people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to fall into this like bad habit of, of thinking like I can fix myself, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, like I remember when I went to counseling and I was like, Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to share enough of my life. So my right. counselor can give me enough feedback. <laughs> so then I can fix myself. Yep. I'm way smarter than my counselor, of course. And, and I won't have to ever be vulnerable and tell anybody my whole story. Mm-hmm. And that never works. No. No, because if you can't be vulnerable with that expert, you certainly aren't going to be vulnerable with the Lord. Right. um, Or with yourself at a certain point, right? right? Like actually be able to look in the mirror and say, this is who I am and and the brokenness and in the pain and in the hurt. If you could go back to Father Sean in Rome in the courtyard at the very beginning of your healing experience, what advice would you give? Because a lot of people are going to start this process over the course of these few weeks where we're sharing this information. What's that piece of advice that people need at the start of a healing journey that you wish you had? The money question. I warned you. I warned you. I would say a lot of it's what I just said, like mm-hmm. be willing to do whatever it takes, mm-hmm. right? Be willing to do whatever it takes. Nobody gets healed by themselves. Mm. I really wish I would have known all of the things that are available to people. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have known that there are 12 step groups for everything and that they're nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have known that there's lots of different kinds of counselors with lots of different expertise. And, and I would also say like, just go all in, mm-hmm. you know, go all in right now and you can compress the timeline. Mm. You know, I'm like 12 years post or I'm a 10 years post, you know, like going to therapy back in 2012. Mm-hmm. There's part of it, it's all in God's providence. Then there's part of me that's like, man, if that would have had me back in 2012, mm-hmm. I might be where I am right now in 2015. Mm-hmm. Or and that's if I time you never get back. I was a seminarian, mm-hmm. like I would have my doctorate right now and, you know, all <laughs> helpful thinking, but just to like to go all in because mm-hmm. life's too short. Yeah. And, and, and it's too short to stay stuck. There was a phrase that kept coming up at one of my Steubenville conferences this past summer, if not now, when? Like to these young people, you get 72 hours in this kind of little Catholic utopia. If this isn't the perfect moment to just kind of jump into this faith thing, I don't know when it will be the perfect. Like if if you're interested in in trying to find healing, if you're beginning to start to dig up those those wounds and those hurts, like wh- why do it with a, a, a plastic spoon when you could do it with an excavator? And like the Lord wants to bring that excavator in. We're like very into dump truck things right now. My girls are all about like the hardcore, let's go play in the dirt. And I'm just embracing it while they're, they're not scared of dirt and worms. Like, let's just, yeah, we'll get all those immunity things built. Father Sean, where can folks follow you, listen to your homilies, read your writings? Where, where can they find you? Or do they just need to come to rural Nebraska? I'm not a great social media person. <laughs> but my homilies are all podcasted on either iTunes or SoundCloud. So you can just search for my name and my podcast is just homilies and talks. Also, my YouTube channel has lots of content from various like conferences or the RCI class I did in my parish. There's a theology of the body for teachers 
course that I did. I did it years ago. And, and recently I found out that a couple of different religious orders have been using it. And I'm, I'm continually blessed and reminded that, that there's something good there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm looking at starting another, an, either a podcast or a YouTube show, really just about, you know, like how we have to live differently in recovery mm-hmm. as a Christian. But that's, that's in the works. So cool on that. We'll put all the links down in the show notes. Father Sean, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Katie. It's been great being with you. You know, I, I think the story that Father Sean shares about this continual encounter with God's presence in his life is a reminder to you and me that we don't just kind of set off on a healing journey as this project. I'm going to take this on. Here's my to-do list. Here's how I'm going to come out the other side. But is this greater awareness of God is consistently seeking to encounter us, to come into these hurt moments, to come into these broken moments, to speak to us in a very particular way. The masculine heart and the feminine heart approach this moment of healing differently. And and I think Father Sean spoke very beautifully about sometimes the struggle that especially men will have when it comes to recognizing I need to find that healing help. I need to go on this journey for the betterment of myself, for the betterment of my family, for the good of the world, for the communal component. The fact that we don't live in isolation, but that our healing ends up affecting everybody around us. I was really grateful that he took the time for this conversation. And it's just one of the excellent conversations we have in this entire series on healing. Later on, we'll have an episode with Dr. Regina Boyd, a licensed professional counselor who's able to give us some excellent insight into the feminine heart and the feminine healing. And this episode first, I think, is a a real beautiful, beautiful opportunity and chance for us to enter into this understanding of healing and the masculine and the feminine heart. You can find more of the amazing things we're creating over at AveMariaPress.com. Just click on the top. You'll see all the free resources available for you. We'd also love it if you'd rate this podcast, give it a subscription, a little a little bounce to our listens always happens when folks subscribe, when they share these episodes that they have hopefully found insightful. We're very, very proud of everything we've created with Ave Explorers, have over 250,000 downloads. It's been honored by the Catholic Media Association. What we're creating, we know is really good, and we'd be grateful if you share it with others. Thanks so much for being with us this week. We'll be back for more conversations about healing later on. Thanks so much for being with us. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.